0: Welcome to Practically Pastoring, a podcast by pastors for pastors who want to share ideas, become better shepherds, and have a good time with friends. My name is Frank. I'm the one of the hosts of this podcast. I'm up in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And my good buddy, home of some old-school, good, hardcore music in America, Baltimore, Maryland, is Jeff Simpson.
1: What's up, everybody? Frank, before we keep going, what in the world is on your lip right hey,
0: now? Hey, we'll talk about that in a second. <laughs> I'm purposely hiding this. Uh, <laughs> down in... Um, uh, where you cut the heat on, S- Sumter, South Carolina. Delmar Pete,
2: I've got air conditioned after
3: two weeks. Thank you.
0: There you go. And uh, alone in the gem of Tampa Bay, Safety Harbor, Florida, my good friend Andrew Larson.
3: All by myself. No Timmy today.
0: Yeah, it's Tim's birthday. And so for his birthday.
3: We yesterday. Oh, was yesterday. yesterday was Tim's birthday. Is he Tomorrow's one of those my week, birthday. Week
1: long celebration birthday, guys?
3: No, he just had a meeting. Oh,
1: okay. That's awesome. That's awesome.
3: <laughs> He's um, actually he's actually working when we're doing this. Can you believe that? Oh man. So, I saw his uh,
1: wife made him some killer looking cinnamon rolls for his birthday.
3: This is true.
0: So I um, have you guys ever bought a take and bake pizza, like a take home pizza, where it's like not frozen, but it's like cold? You know what I'm saying?
2: So I'm assuming this is gonna tie in your lip. Oh. Yeah,
0: this is. So
1: I,
2: I
0: bought, <laughs> For those of you not watching,
1: Frank is hiding behind his microphone I bought, right I now. bought a pizza. And I, I, he I baked
3: he it. looks like Michael Scott in that episode where he had to call all his ev- <laughs> all of his ex girlfriends.
0: Oh no! Anyways, I bought a pizza. I baked it. And I ate it pretty quickly, and I didn't know this was possible. But some sauce of the pizza squirted in my lip, and it burnt my lip. And I literally have like a burn (laughs) blister on my lip. Dude,
1: I so okay. Listen, I get excited about food too, but it is (laughs) it is such a glutton move to be so excited about your food that you. Injure yourself eating it because you're so excited to get the pizza I don't, in your mouth. I don't
0: think I like ate it too quickly. Like I thought like I got the pizza of the oven. I'm not. Listen, I I'm not sure it. I
1: care what you think right now because obviously <laughs> your judgment is poor. <laughs> yeah.
0: So it looks like I got busted in my lip. Uh, it's all because of a pizza. That's why I have um, literally like a, a scab on my lip right now. It sucks. But well, you live and you learn. Good thing I'm, not, I'm not preaching for a couple weeks, weeks, so, so I don't have to be in front of a camera except for here. Um, so let's get this out of the way. Our, our, our weekly new, uh, sports segment. Um, the, the uh, the Rays did incredible. What? Two days ago with the, on
1: Saturday First of night, all, let's pause there. Brett Phillips has the best flow of any major league baseball player I've seen in a while. He doesn't have that the best will... hair on the team.
3: Well, not even I'm the best hair that on the moment, team. That moment,
1: that moment oh, was yes. super slow-mo. The lettuce was yeah. just gleaming. And flowing, it was beautiful. But that was possibly the most Little League walk off World Series win I've so, ever so seen in my life.
3: Brett Phillips went to Seminole High School. Mm-hmm. My first uh, job back here in Tampa Bay after seminary was at uh, Faith Community Church, which is in Seminole, Florida. So my whole youth group was from Seminole High School. Um, I, you know, i I did a wedding last weekend with for a girl that graduated with his class in his class. So I would love to claim that he came to my youth group, but that's not the case. But I did watch him play a few games as a senior in high school. And uh, it was a whole different kind of pressure and anxiety that I felt during that at bat, because like I I know this kid, I followed him on Instagram for, you know, since he was in high school and boy, that was fun. That was Man, a whole that lot of fun.
1: A, that play was a perfect example of the roller coaster of a baseball fan. Yeah. Like, oh, one run scores. Oh, no, Rosa Ring is out. Oh, my gosh, they won the whole game.
3: And it's – the thing that I love is as a Rays fan, that uh, hoping and assuming we can win the next two games, which we're recording this on Monday, so the Dodgers won game five on Sunday night. So tonight's an off night. Then there's games on Tuesday and hopefully Wednesday. If the Rays win those – unless there's some crazy walk-off thing that happens again, the two biggest moments of the playoffs for the Rays are going to be guys that one guy wasn't supposed to make the team out of spring training, and another guy we trade for that no one's ever heard of before. And it's just such a Rays thing. Like, yes, we have the one guy that's hit nine home runs this playoffs, but the two biggest moments are guys that no average baseball fan could pick out of a lineup. Yeah, Dell looks so bored right now.
1: Well, and I mean, I would say excitement level of this last walk off with Phillips hitting and a Rosarina, basically kissing home plate, which was amazing. The excitement level was equivalent to Longoria hitting that home run, you know, years ago. This game one sixty two
3: two thousand eleven.
1: Oh, Best night of baseball ever. But the skill level was significantly lower. It was just yes. so exciting.
0: <laughs> I mean, I, I this is fun. I don't really like baseball that much. So, well, I just, I,
2: I, and for our new, um, <laughs> we did get a new review this week on Apple um the podcast and for you guys, the guy who reviewed, I think it's Brent Chapel, you asked if we would start putting the timestamp at the beginning of the video to when we're done talking about sports. That will be available on YouTube <laughs> from now on. Just click the little arrow button and you click the number that or either will or either I'll move it to the end. All right. Because I love you guys.
0: <laughs> so, um, Andrew and Tim are, are are indifferent right now because they won on Saturday. They lost on Sunday. But there's two more games left. Possibly they could win the I'm whole Jeff, thing. But and then, oh, no, no, no. I know. Oh. I'm don't. i I'm actually surprised you're still a, a race fan. Um, well, the Orioles play. are out now. And, you know, those roots are deep, man. But here's what I'm thinking. The only thing about sports that's interesting to me. It's the most 2020 scenario that the Lightning – the Rays, and now if the Bucs get their, you know, now that they have Antonio Brown. Antonio Brown. If the, first of all, Antonio Brown coming to the Buccaneers for a one-year contract is one of the most 2020 things that ever happened. But Super. if the Bucs go to the Super Bowl, how weird is this year? It's the Super Tampa,
3: Bowl that will it? be played at Raymond James Stadium. Yeah. yeah, I went to Publix last night in between the Buccaneers game and the Rays game, and if you're not listening from God's country, Publix is... Jesus's favorite supermarket. I agree. And with that. so I was there in Publix, and I was looking around, and everybody in my Publix was wearing either a Buccaneer shirt, a Lightning shirt, or a Rays shirt. And it was it's just a fun time to be in Tampa Bay. Everybody's optimistic, even though there's a going to be a very contentious election happening in eight days. No one cares. We're all just on the Tampa Bay sports bandwagon.
1: Publix, for those of you who don't live in the South, is the Chick Fil A of grocery stores, and the fried chicken is better.
3: They actually say it's where their slogan me, is where where shopping is a pleasure. And it's funny you go you go to a non Publix and you're you like, like, oh, that. I get I get the slogan now. It's yeah, shopping really is just very it pleasurable. Really it's
0: not a pleasure at Sweet Bay. <laughs> it's not a pleasure at Albertsons. No. Publix right. is not a no. sponsor yet. Yeah, but Publix, yeah. shout yeah. out to you. That'd be awesome all right hey uh i want to dive into some clergy cliff notes today we're going to actually talk about what delmar and i do for a living which i which i'm really excited because uh everybody else keeps constantly judging and questioning us i often get mistaken like people call me a senior pastor i'm like i'm a campus pastor and i'm like forget this this is too complicated to explain but so i'm actually excited to talk about this i don't we feel just- like we we're
1: constantly making fun of you. you're no, sensitive that- about it though <laughs>
2: We we went from I'm not a real pastor, I'm a youth pastor to I'm not a real pastor, I'm a campus pastor. That's I'm all I'm just saying,
1: happened. the more adjectives you have in front of the word pastor,
3: I mean Yeah, but youth pastors actually have to work. I don't oh, I don't know what a campus pastor does. <laughs> hey guys, that was a great video we watched. Let's pray. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, <laughs> I, nice. Like, oh, man. like like the kid oh, that's been you go. campus pastor, we love you. That's the kid that's one. been saved for three weeks could pull that off, but whatever. Wow. It's Man. cool. All right. it's cold
0: right. today. Okay. Hey. Clergy Cliff Notes. Well, Andrew, since we don't have um a uh, 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 what's it called a soundboard <laughs> yet, Andrew, can you lead us into clergy <clears throat> Cliff Notes?
3: Cliff Notes. Clergy Cliff Notes. Here's what we've been reading about this week. But up. But up. But up. That's it. That's all we got.
0: Delmar, um, can you tell us what is on the docket all the way from the rcsprawl.net.
2: <laughs> yes <laughs> rc Sprawl. depending on who you're listening to sprowl um so one of the things pastors we do a lot is we are in the word a lot we're studying a lot or we should be right depending on which denomination you're in right but i will say this uh <laughs> one of the things that really can can hurt us sometimes is software when we're studying the word and we're praying it is a part of part of our job because um, we are preaching, we're ministering. So having those moments where we have real intimate time with God that is not related to like, I have to do this because my ministry requires it. Just a genuine quiet time, if you want to call it that, is something that's difficult for us to seek out sometimes. So he actually wrote a pretty good article about the pastor's prayer life and how it's essential um, in the sense of like, it can't just be something that's forced every day in the routine of our ministry. It has to be something that's pouring forth out of our heart. So today I actually kind of bring a question in lieu of this. Um, I have a couple, but I would love to hear yours first. And that's this like, do you have two to three kind of tips or wisdoms about how do you have meaningful moments with God throughout your day? Um, so that way it's not just like this pigeonhole thing that just happens and now it's over with and now I can get back to doing the thing that I should have been doing.
0: I, I know for me, I um, I mean, this is almost like cliche from like our youth ministry days. Like when I was in youth group type of thing is like what I put into my life is going to affect my life in, in, in some capacity, whether it's the entertainment and things like that. And so I am trying to be very mindful of listening and putting content in my mind during the day that leads me to worship. And, I'm, and I know that sounds a little bit self-righteous or something, but like what I mean by that is like, if I'm, if I, if I find myself listening to a lot of podcasts that are like true crime or what like stuff that's like either non-religious or almost kind of like sketchy or something, um, I'll like make sure that I spend some time straight up listening to worship music or, you know, um, I don't know, an, an audio book that's about, the Lord or something like that. So I I try to intentionally put myself in situations where even if I'm not, um, being mindful of what I'm listening to, it's something that kind of like puts me in like a place of, of worship and and stuff like that. Does that make sense?
2: Yeah. It kind of keeps you there the whole day. It kind of sustains you in that space with God. Is that what I'm hearing?
0: Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, 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 I like, I like, and this might be a little sacrilegious to say as a pastor, like, I feel like even for the past like 10 years of my life my devotional life has been something I constantly have to work for as opposed to like coming natural like when people say I just I just read I just pray for 2 hours and read my bible I'm like like I have to fight for that like that's not something that like is natural for me for whatever reason and so like finding the the moments where I'm subconsciously getting into God's word or subconsciously spending time with the Lord only helps me greater when i do have those intentional times when i'm reading the bible for devotion or just specifically spending time in prayer you know for whatever
3: one of my uh first semester seminary professors like sat our class down and was like look here's the deal you are going to be required to spend more time in god's word over the next few years than you ever have in your life and there's going to be a pressure to compartmentalize the devotional from the academic, and he said, nowhere is that necessary. Everything in your life should be devotional. And so, if you are doing a thousand pages a week of reading, that should be devotional. If you are, you know, studying to write a sermon, if you're studying to, you know, to just for the sake sake of studying for something academic, there's no reason that that can't be devotional when you study. And so he kind of impressed upon us this idea that there there is no line between secular and sacred. And of course, you know, as pastors we tell people that like, you know, no, your vo- your vocation is your calling. You know, who you are in Christ is not just something that happens on Sunday. It's who you are all day every day. And I think pastors need the freedom to know that that's the case for us as well. Like everything that we do is devotional whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do do all to the glory of God is first corinthians ten and so i and maybe it's because I grew up a fundamentalist and so i've I grew up with so much guilt that I got sick of feeling guilty about you know reading my Bible for devotions and then picking up to study um may, maybe for for me it's kind of the get out of guilt free card but I have no issue saying Do you know I spent 4 hours in commentaries and reading earlier today. Um my my time with God is good. I you know, I I spent an hour praying before I went to bed last night. I don't need to start I don't need to pray for an hour before I start writing this sermon. I think it's a both and and if you are looking at life as this is my response to God, this is my worship, this is my my devotion, well then there's going to be natural carryover i i i think there's it's such a misnomer when people
0: when people tell me when people are like as pastors like you can't use your bible study as your like devotion because i feel like sometimes sometimes when i'm like writing my sermons that has like been the greatest time of devotion (laughs) than like anything i've been doing for the past like month i was like what did I just learn I learned something new about God like and like I get to share this with people like that like you're right, like Andrew if I spend 4 hours one day in like, some commentaries and stuff like that yep that's my devotional for today because that stuff that wrecked me more than than me and my you know 10 minute devo through Timothy or something you know
2: I would lean all the way into that if you are studying God's word to write a sermon and that text is not wrecking you then you're probably not going to preach it faithfully you know
3: so. Yeah. I would
1: just say, I think what kind of go back to what Andrew said, I, I think you were kind of touching on the the guilt, shame kind of religious thing that happens a lot. And, you know, the reality is the only one who counts as far as seeing what we're doing is the is the only one that matters. So, like, you you don't need to you're not uh, like putting your devotional life up for anybody else to see. Only God sees your devotional Unless life. Unless you are
3: using. It- Unless you're using you version, then you're putting it up. That's true. Yes. That's different. You
1: got to do Christian virtue signaling sometimes. I mean, (laughs) Um, no, but the only one who counts to see what your devotional life is, is the only one who really matters. So, and he's not holding, you know, he's not giving you guilt and shame that's coming from somewhere else. So, um, you know, I, I agree with what you guys have said. Like, I don't think that there needs to be, I, I actually think it's, it's a bad idea to separate the two um to separate like for so we've been doing the gospel of John for it feels like forever now and i basically have just been reading commentaries on John i'm doing a study through 1st 2nd 3rd John i'm just kind of getting to know the apostle John and that's doing so much for my own walk and but that's what i'm teaching through too so um you know i think i, I don't see any reason why your devotional life and your teaching Vocation as a Christian shouldn't be tied together because, in the same way, like what you said, Andrew, you know, a person who's let's say working in retail, their devotional life is going to affect their calling of doing the work of an evangelist and seeing the kingdom of heaven come where they are. Why wouldn't that be the case for us? Um, and so a couple tools that I use though I mean, I would say if you're from a like uh, a kind of neo reformed or even um, non denominational kind of you know, middle of the road Protestant background. Uh, t- dip your toe into the liturgical traditions because there's a lot of stuff there that devotionally can really help you. Um, and here, I'm just going to give you a couple tools. One, this is actually um, called From the Rabbit Room, which is, if you know Andrew Peterson's music, it's kind of connected to him. But this is a, they have a bunch of these online too, but it's called Every Moment Holy. And these are liturgies for like every, like so many things that just seem so random that you're actually, the idea being you're you're living your life in the in the face of God, and that every moment is a holy moment in your life. So here are uh, some. The, so there's prayers of the hours. So there's like daybreak, midday, nightfall, which I do in my personal devotional life. But this book has some really cool. Like I use this one every morning. This is the uh, a liturgy for the ritual of morning coffee, and I actually printed this one and framed it and put it by where I make my coffee in the morning. And it's a, just a prayer I pray in the morning that kind of, you know, brings me in, kind of present with God and present with myself. So that's something I use. And there's a ton of them in there. I actually have uh, a couple of the prayers in there that are printed that are pray. It's like a liturgy for the changing of diapers. And I'm going to put that in the ch- in the church nursery because you know, I mean, it's it is a holy. You're caring for the image of God and a baby. And like there's if so, if someone can. You know, someone can use that. But then the other thing I've used in the past is called Sacred Ordinary Days. Uh, it's also a planner. And uh, this has uh, daily office readings from the Revised Common Lectionary. And then it's also like a, a planner that you can use. So uh, this one's really cool. So it's got morning and evening prayers. So that's like the most basic form for me of devotional is just breaking my day up into morning, midday, and evening. And trying to like take a break after I eat lunch and I kind of come back to the office, taking like a 10 minute break to just kind of pray and maybe read one of the texts from the evening prayers or the afternoon prayers uh, or scriptures. And so that's just kind of how I do it throughout the day. And then once in a while, I try to do some kind of retreat. I did recent, I don't know, well, before COVID, which has been forever now, I did a silent retreat at a, uh, um, it's actually a Roman Catholic um, like retreat center. And they have these silent retreats you can go on where you just basically go and there'll be a person leading it and they'll walk you through a couple of prayer things. And then you just go off into the retreat center, like in the woods and just spend time silent. Uh, so that was pretty cool. So dip your toes in the liturgical traditions, y'all. There's a lot there.
2: Uh, for me, I I really get into like a habit. I I have to have it. But the problem is this, like oftentimes that routine can become a rut. So for me, when it comes to my quiet time, I have some red flags in my life. that I can indicate whether or not this thing is just becoming a rut in my life. Like, for example, if I find that once I'm done having my quiet time, if I'm not even retaining what I'm reading or engaged, then I'm realizing I'm in a rut. Or if I find that I feel like I'm always rushed while I'm having it, that means I've pushed it back too far, which means I'm in a rut. So what do I try to do to 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 help manage those boundaries of the rut is I often just try to like marry the thing I'm in love with with the one who I am in love with. Like right now I love walking at night. My kids are in bed at 8:30 and I generally walk literally from about 8:30 to about 11:30 every night. I've been going about 6 or 7 miles and when I'm doing that the first hour i'm i'm often listening to some type of thing like what frank said that's calling me to worship by the way i'm going to plug it right now ryan reeves if you haven't listened to him on youtube he is a historian and he does magic work with church history. Like when you were listening to church history, you are just there. Um, He's a professor at a university. So I listen to him. I mix it up with Ligonier. And oftentimes I'll start right at 830, but generally around 930. um, Lately, I've been having other um, Christian men who want to come walking with me. So And I kind of feel like, you know, um, why not invite God into the conversation when I'm with um, these men? So I actually have a couple men who are I'm looking at to be deacons, and, and I'm having conversations with them. So they've been coming walking with me the past month, month and a half. Uh, so being in the Word, um, I, I've kind of backed up and taken a different approach. And I know he himself is controversial, but I like his method, the John MacArthur study method. I think I told you all about that before where basically he encourages you like just get into a text and sit in it for 30 days, even if that's just reading the same thing over and over and over again. And it's crazy how like after I do that, the first time you read it, you're like, oh, how many of y'all been reading your Bible? And you get to that one point, you're like, I know this part. So you read it lighter. You know, he encourages no dig into it and then every time just dig into it. So I've been doing that. Um, And one of the things that's been very rewarding for me is I've invited my family to that conversation. So once a day, we have family worship at my house. And my three year old and my one one and a half year old, it's quite a challenge, but we sit down and my wife will read them a Bible story. And then I um, will say, what can we pray for? And then we take those up. And then I ask my son, you know, who made the Bible? What parts are in the Bible? Who is Jesus? What did he do for us? What is sin? And he just answers just these basic catechism questions. And then, uh, we end in prayer and then I let him choose a song. And it's been interesting. Cause when I first started doing, I was like, I'm doing this for the kids. But the other day when I heard my three-year-old talk about needing forgiveness and actually the next day he did something against his brother and he came to me and he was like, I sinned. And then he went and apologized to his brother and said, will you forgive me? I was like, in that moment, he's apologizing to his brother. I'm worshiping because I'm like, wow, my three-year-old, you know, for, I mean, that's big. So I've been inviting my family more into my quiet time. And just to be honest, um, it takes like seven or 10 minutes with little kids, but it's a great accountability. The other day um, we had a fall festival, um, which it was like a drive through type thing, like everything else in the world right now. Yeah. I, and I we could were- tell
3: which car was yours.
2: Yeah. <laughs> what, what gave it away? Yeah. But um, the Ninja Turtle, everything, maybe. But I was on my feet all day. We got home. We were exhausted. And I was just like, I'm going to sneak. This is bad. But I'm like, I'm, we're just going to go to bed. And my son, Calvin, comes up to me. He goes, family worship. Isn't that the best, man? <sighs> oh, yes, son. Family worship. i was so dead. But we did it. And you're right. It is the best. It, it's it, it realigns and the my worst. soul. It's
1: the best and the worst, though.
2: It really is. Yeah. And, uh, and then the one thing I do that's just me and I try to keep everyone out of it. Um, no one comes walking, no families in it. It was once a, once a month. I do have a retreat day here at church and it counts as an actual work day. I'm, I am working. Um, I'm this is not an off day. I will get out of town. Sometimes I go to the local, I've gone to the local Christian university and sat in their library and studied, Um, I've just gone to Starbucks and, and been my, I've gone on walks, um, hiking, but like that once a month thing is huge for me. The only person I really will pull into that. I think I've shared in a previous podcast that I do go to counseling. So some days I will align those on the same day because that's about a 40 minute drive each way for me. But that one day where I'm like, listen, I've been having all these moments with God. I want to have a day where it's like the distractions are gone. I mean, just to be quite honest, it's one of those things that's kept me going through COVID. So those are just some of the things that I do. But I think it's important. What I'm hearing, just as I hear all of us together, is really when I hear Frank, Andrew, and Jeff, you guys talking, you really are just saying, hey, God, you made me a certain way. Will you exploit that for me to be with you? Hmm. You know?
0: Um, I think like... uh what you just said, Delmar. I don't know, if Jeff and Andrew, if you guys can just do this because like you have no one you have to tell like what your days off or on are, or if it's something you have to like get permission from your elders. But like my church is the same thing where we are allowed to have like so many like personal retreat days where like they said, like on those retreat days, you don't respond to email and it's purely a time for you to go away and like spend time in God's word you know, do whatever you want to want to do. I don't know. I think that's, I think one thing coming to this church that I've never been told I could do that. And I, I often find myself not taking, like not using those days. And like my church saying, no, no, you have to use those days, figure it out. And I love that. Like they're encouraging me to do that as opposed to not. Um, hey, real quick. I know this is is this kind of on topic, but I just, I just would love to know, you know, we talked about kind of, you know, li- listening to, Certain YouTube videos or whatever to kind of lead us towards worship. I know I have a specific worship album that, like, if I need something that I want to like just get into the mood of worship, like this album. It's like one of those things where every time I listen to this album, it like teaches me something new and like challenges me. What is that worship album for you? Like, what worship album do you just keep going back to? That, or or maybe it's your favorite worship album right now. What's that worship album that we can maybe share with some people? Like, this is what we're listening to when we really want to worship.
1: Uh, I mean, it's there's a lot of stuff for me, but um, yeah, right now I'm listening to this. I keep listening over and over to this album. It's called "I'll Be the Branches" by Chris Renzema. And, I'll be uh, the branches. I'll yes, like I will be the branches. Uh, It's on Spotify. It's really good. There's a song in there called "Son of God," which is really speaks specifically to the power of Christ and the, and uh, I mean, he says some pretty political things um directly, which I just really love, I love the way, I mean, it just, it kind of gets me in that place of worship. So, uh, live music has been that thing for me in the past. So like going to a good concert, uh, really just does something for my soul, which
0: I can't do right now. But uh, Andrew Dunmar, what do you got? What's your favorite album right now? Uh,
3: I've got, I've got a playlist. that's like my go-to Sunday morning, uh, Spotify playlist. And it's called Shane and sons. Cause it's, it's, it started off as a hybrid of Shane and Shane and, all Sons and Daughters, and now it's expanded way beyond that. But so that's just a playlist that I've curated. But my favorite worship album all time is uh Cademan's Call and the Company of Angels. And it's just I mean, I think one of my favorite albums of all time is Forty Acres by Cademan's Call. But but so that that uh that's my, my go to worship album. And it's one of those things where like God was doing some and that's probably fifteen years old now maybe maybe even older than that gosh it's got to be older than that because i was in college when it came out and i'm very very old um but it's like one of those things where where you know about junior year of college god was doing some serious work in me and you you put that album on and suddenly you are right where you were at that place yeah dunbar what's yours
2: mine right
3: now it is the
2: only thing playing in my purview is the joy of being the new album by citizens Oh, it is. It's great. Amazing. It's really Every good. single song on there. If you sing it, you sing this like beautiful sympathy to, sympathy to God about who He is. So that's what I'm. I, and honestly, it's just great. Um, I also like Andrew. I have a playlist. It's just called Songs That Grow Me, and it's about 120 songs, and it is 100% hymns. It is just old school, new school hymns. Um, I really. Have been kind of getting back to even my roots in that recently. Uh, one question I would have to anyone listening right now: this is just something I'm looking for. I am looking for some music that is straight Psalms. Um, I'm Dude, trying I was to get. Just
1: it. about to mention a Psalms album.
2: Please, will you drop that? Because yeah, I've been it looking called, for Jeff.
1: Well, it's just it's Robbie C. Band Psalms LP. There's a, there's a few LPs, but they're almost he just goes word, straight through yeah, them. They're almost word for word um yeah the other, we need to the other that thing the I, show would, notes. I would tell you about is there's a if it's still up i'm looking it up right now uh there was a website back in the day called the versus project yeah it's still up uh and it has graphic designs and a lot of the texts also have songs that are written straight from like the esv translation so it's a pretty cool devotional site i mean there's got to be like over a hundred texts in here but uh, Really cool stuff. I used to print the posters out of this all the time. Like, you can print 11 by 17 posters. Pretty cool I'm stuff. I'm part of a
3: group on Facebook called, like, I, it's like a church tech group that I joined when we were trying to get some stuff solved a while ago. And someone had a video up of, of their band playing something. They're like, hey, we tried to do this. And really, it wasn't super great. I was like, I, I don't know that I'd be posting that if it was me. But it was um All This for a King, David Crowder Band. And I was like, ah. That was, I mean, that almost fire back in the I day. don't know that there are many worship songs that I love as much as that. And I, in my, in my, I just heard like two notes of it, and in my head I started to hear that you know the the piano playing at the beginning, and then the kick starting. Oh. Good stuff. And everybody cheering. Speaking speaking
0: yep. of uh of hymns, so and we'll transition to dumb. We'll, we'll transition to your um clergy cliff note. Is my album and it's been like this since the moment the album came out, is Ascend the Hill Hymns album. Uh, yeah, I oh mean gosh, yes. It's it's just it's just like Love of God. It's so Classic. emotional. It's so like like you've heard the hymns a thousand times, but there's something about that album, the way he sings it. It's just, it's just, it's just. I don't know. Like, it gets me emotional every time I listen to them. Dude, they
1: were doing those songs at like hardcore shows. Yes, it's gnarly, amazing. It's gnarly.
0: There's actually another band. Um, there's a band called Sleeping Giant that has some um like worship type of songs that are like super like drop D heavy metal stuff, but
2: it's pretty worshipable.
0: Anyways, Delmar um your uh you already gave me your clergy cliff No, i'm sorry i did Jeff, <laughs> I you. you were in the zone today buddy <laughs> jeff um you have a clergy cliff note and i and i think it's going to tie into well with our main topic
1: yeah so i was uh reading religion news service as i am wont to do from time to time and uh, this is something that uh my church kind of has been doing uh, but the title of the article is COVID-19 food crisis gives new life to the ancient practice of gleaning. And so if you're unfamiliar with the ancient practice of gleaning, it's essentially just leaving some food in the field for folks who are uh, having a, you know, who are poor or who don't have opportunity to um, to to have enough that they can come and get the food. And so the article is kind of just saying like that's happening in terms of things like farmers, but also with grocery stores giving away uh, leftovers and things like that, and I would say there's probably a lot more of that that has always been going on that just isn't in the mainstream. I know here there are a lot of small little churches in the inner city that have been doing this stuff for years, and no one ever knows about it, which is actually pretty awesome. Um, you know, biblically speaking, they're like almost literally not letting their right hand know what their left hand is doing, and I find that really cool. But since COVID started. Uh, long story short, my wife has been, uh, d- twice a week going to pick food up at a food bank, uh, or at a grocery store. And then at someone's garage who picks it up at a grocery store and she delivers it to a couple different places. Uh, one in a really, really rough part of where we live. And, uh, so I just wondered like, what has your church been doing? And Frank, maybe you can go last on this one since I kind of know the answer to yours, but, um, just wanted to say like. You know, Shout out to my wife for doing that. She just kind of quietly does it and nobody really knows about it, but uh, I'm sure there are people in your churches doing things like that, or maybe has your church done anything like that during COVID? Just kind of wondering what you guys were, were doing.
2: I know one of the things that our church has been doing is we've been trying to connect people who can provide with the community. Like there are some people in our community who are who are well off and they want to help, but they don't necessarily have the network per se that the church does. So one individual teamed up with us and he personally helped purchase a mask for every child in the school. And um, yeah, so we were able to kind of we were able to connect him because at our campus, we have a girl on staff. Her job is a liaison to the school. So she has the ins to all the schools here and was able to help us get these masks from the top all the way down to the bottom. So one of the things we try to do is to connect those people.
1: That's almost literally asking you shall receive.
2: Honestly. I mean, that's pretty quite cool. literally. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Andrew, what about you?
3: So I, we are ending this recording in about a half an hour. Cause I've got an appointment and that appointment is to go with a bunch of our kids from the church up to, we have a, a it's called the Maddie Williams neighborhood family center here in safety Harbor. Um, and, and, it's this, it's a exactly what it is, it's a neighborhood family center, and they've been feeding a hundred different families in our community throughout the whole pandemic. And so we've been collecting for them. And so we've, we've made it a thing where, you know, a lot of our older people, because we're in central Florida, we got a lot of old people. And so a lot of the older people, again, they don't know who needs what, you know, or, or they have the means to provide, but, but don't know where something should go. And so we've, we're collecting food here at the church, and then we let our families with the young kids take it up to the neighborhood family center so that our kids get used to um, being a part of, of that. So that's it's maybe a quarter mile away from the church here. And so instead of starting something you know that to do at the church, we're partnered with a, with a group that ministers just in this couple block area. Yeah, of, and I think I think that's churches. awesome to
1: kind of just plug into something that exists already, especially like if you're if your church is a smaller church or in a low income area, that's a, a really easy way to like actually get in. And I would say too, like pastors, if you're listening to this and like your church has been doing something and you know, like like a lot of these programs, probably the news isn't. No one knows about this, but, you know, the Lord sees and we're not doing it for news coverage anyway. So keep at it. And, uh, but Frank, I wanted you to go last because this will kind of segue us into our main discussion, uh, with you and Dell. So what is your church doing?
0: Yeah. And I was going to say, like, I think so many churches, I like how you mentioned it. It's not about the press. It's not about getting the praise. And I think so many churches, you know, want to like create a new program, but it's like, yo, don't reinvent the wheel. If there's someone that's already doing something excellent, partner with them and that's probably more effective than you starting from the ground up with something new. But um, the, so, so the church, so the campus, I am now the campus pastor of the church that was there before that's been there since like the 1950s started a food pantry back in like 2012. And, um, and it literally started as a food pantry for people within their own church. Kind of like what Andrew was saying is like a lot of um, older people who are on fixed incomes, who were just like in a situation where their fixed income wasn't be able to provide for the rising costs of of living. And so they started doing a food pantry for that. Word got out and people who didn't go to their church started coming to the food pantry. And now the food pantry has been something that's mainly a resource for like seven different zip codes within the area. And so when we purchased the building, the agreement that we had, one of the agreements was that we would – keep the food pantry going that we would kind of take it on and not let it die and so literally when we decided to do that my wife was simultaneously already kind of serving at a food pantry nearby and she said frank if i don't take this job if you don't take this job i want to serve at this food pantry and lo and behold she now runs this food pantry that's at our campus and uh so basically there's an organization called feeding america it's a nationwide organization you probably heard about it during covid a lot of celebrities were raising money for that And at Feeding America, we pay, like, something like 20 cents to a pound, 20 cents on the pound for frozen meat, um, produce, um, and then select canned goods and stuff like that. So it's, like, very, very inexpensive food that we can get that grocery stores give to Feeding America, and then we go there and buy it for, like, 20 cents on the pound. And then we also have, like, food drives where people from our church and from the community donate to our food pantry and we give out meals not just meals we give out basic groceries to people in our in our community and so every wednesday i i try to spend at least an hour or two if not the whole day at the food pantry to support my wife and and it's true pastoral work like yeah i'm just handing bags to people but 90, like 50% of the time, I would say 60, 50 to 60% of the time I'm being stopped and people asking me like, Hey, can you pray for me? Can you talk to me? And there's like been no other ministry I've ever been a part of. That's truly as a pastor being within the community who don't go to my church, than this ministry right here. Cause it's just like purely like me just talking to people and praying for them. And, and it gets awkward. There's like, there's this lady who comes every week who gives me the five reasons why I should be voting for Trump. (laughs) and then And then there's this other lady who uh, comes up to me and tells me about all the woes in the black community um, uh, within our own city. And so there is some real messiness in being in the food pantry, but that's the beauty of like being involved in the community is you really get to get a pulse on what's happening. Um, So it's not something we created, we inherited it and it's grown tremendously because of COVID not because we've been promoting it just because the need has increased and people have been going word of mouth. So Um, that's a a small part of my, of what, what I do as a campus pastor, but like the food pantry at our, at our campus has been a pretty awesome tool to be able to care for the tangible needs of the people in our community. But even beyond that, um, it's, it's a cool way to be able to share the gospel with people and show them the love of Christ. So, so that takes up a good chunk
1: of your week. I mean, if not it, a morning on Wednesday. Take, it takes maybe.
0: up a morning on Wednesday. There is some aspects of my week that's taken up because it's my wife who's in charge of it. So I help her like I had to, it was, it's pretty cool. Like my world kind of blended together when she decided to do this. I've been teaching her how to use MailChimp <laughs> you know, stuff right. like that. Like like because she's wanted to do the food pantry well, I've been teaching her the skills I've learned. So there's a lot of stuff that during the week. But there are some times during the week where I'm critically thinking about what to do for the food pantry and, and help out. From a campus pastor level to care for a community.
1: Well, and that kind of segues us into the next thing. I mean, it's been a running joke for what twelve episodes now. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, I think the world wants to know. Pastors want to know. What does a campus
0: pastor even do all week? Yeah, guys, tell us. I I think I think um, like I think one thing that that I I don't like I don't I've never talked to Delmar about this, so I don't. I'm sure there's a lot of similarities. But like the the thing I always joke about is there's no context for a campus pastor in scripture and a campus pastor is a relatively like new phenomenon, right? Like, well, and I would say like, I've had a lot of
1: difficulties explaining to like non church going people, what a pastor does. I feel like for you guys, that's even more complicated to like, if you're getting a haircut and they're like, what do you do? And you're like, I'm a campus pastor. They're like, what does that mean? Um, Well, let me explain to you multi-site churches. So, Yeah, I mean, so first of all, why don't you each tell us, like, how many campuses your churches each have?
0: Yeah, Uh, uh, we we just purchased our fourth campus, so we, so November 15th, our third campus is going live. January, February 28th, my campus is going live, so we have four campuses total.
1: And you're at Mayfair
0: Road is the name, right? The Mayfair Road campus at Epicos. is what our campus is, yeah yeah what about you uh, We
2: are two and a half. We have um the central me, which is the Pocala campus on the other side of town, and then we have another campus that's already been a seed campus and it's in a place called Bishopville, so they're meeting now um they're basically starting to get on board doing a lot of the things that this campus is doing.
0: Dumart would you call that a micro campus
2: um I think you could i mean you could that'd be a fair assessment right now that good.
0: I was going to say because we actually do have a micro campus too, which that's an even newer phenomenon, which is basically like if you have like a feed, you you buy like a really nice TV and some guy in his house, he invites people from his community. So it's almost like a glorified
1: small group that watches the feed, but it's a campus. Kind
0: of, that's okay. how it is for us right now for this micro campus. And this what makes this micro campus unique for us is that it's like three hours away. So it's the only campus that wouldn't be like a drivable campus. But um, but someone was saying that there's like no real like gospel-centered churches in this community, and they were and they just moved there from our church, and they were hoping we could talk about micro campuses. They've been the micro campus for about a year now. It's it's interesting. Go yeah, ahead, for Dalton. our
2: campus. The other campus is probably fifty minutes to an hour from where I'm at now. We're actually looking for a full-time minister for that position. Right now, what our philosophy is um, we, are, we find places that are underserved with churches, and we move in there because our central campus is healthy, um, whereas a lot of strategies, good, bad, or indifferent for multi-sites is we're going to find a good side of a town that's established where we know if we put up a steeple, people will come, or whatever your method is. We actually find a side of town that doesn't have worship that's happening where people are gathering. So it's not as much of a kickstart process. There's more of a grind in it, but that's what we've been doing in Bishopville. We went in there. There's not really a whole lot in the community. So the community was like, Hey, listen, you can have our opera house for free as long as you know, you're doing good things in the community with it. So we're trying to find those opportunities. Uh, And honestly, we're kind of landlocked here by a lot of impoverished communities as well. So it fits in our mission real well.
0: And that, and I think that's a good thing to say, though, is, like, I think a misconception for multi-site churches is that all multi-site churches is basically like a franchise model. Like, you're basically, like, you find that there's 100 people coming from a certain part of town. Let's put a building there so that way they don't have to drive as far. And it's kind of building this brand. Our church is actually very similar to what Dunmar is just saying. Like, we have a large part of our community in certain places in our, in our city, but we only want to plant a campus where, the campus where the area is underserved in like true gospel preaching. So, like, where we plant campuses is, is very thoughtfully through and like researched out, like, okay, there is not a church like us within a certain mile radius. All there is in this area is like mainline denominations or something like that. Like, let's plant our campus there because there needs to be um, gospel proclamation in this area that could be needed. Does that make sense? So like, there's places where we wouldn't plant campuses because there's like-minded churches like ours that we're, we're tight with and we're like, oh, we don't need to plant here, even though we might have people from there. Um, we want to plant where there's not churches. Like, that yeah, One
2: we take the same model and one of our key indicators is something I know your church is also very passionate about, Frank, is we are a multicultural church. So we look in a side of town and if, and if all the churches on that side of town are segregated, black and white we know there's some kind of space for us in there. So Bishopville is very traditional in that nature. This place where I'm at on South 15 is very traditional in that nature. So when we come together multiculturally, it is something um, different, just with that.
0: So so to, to answer this question of like, what do we do? What I was going to say is every, every church, every multi-site church, may have different roles for a campus pastor, but there's probably similar commonalities. I, I, I pulled up like the three major expectations of my, of of my church for a campus pastor. The first one is own the Sunday service experience at your campus. So what that means is, and I mean, this is not any different from a normal senior pastor, but this is specific for campus pastors. I'm supposed to know Every aspect of what happens in my Sunday morning experience, even if I'm not like proficient in it, like I need to know how to turn up the volume on the soundboard, how to make sure the slides work on the on the computer, um, how how like like all like I'm supposed to know everything about what's going on. I kind of have to have like a kind of a running idea of what planning center is gonna be like for that service. So that therefore, if anything happens, I could possibly slip in there and like run something if needed or quickly coach someone. Even though I'm not proficient in it, I'm supposed to know every aspect of my service in that in that way. Some people say, like, I'm the coach of the yeah. Sunday morning service for my I was going to say
1: you're like the leader in a band. Exactly. You kind of have yeah. to know how to talk to every, every yeah. instrument, maybe not, not play it proficiently.
0: but There's not a ministry on Sunday morning that's happening on my campus that I am not not only aware of, but, like, I know if something needs to happen or change, I know what to do in that service. The second thing is to is to host the platform. And so, like, you made that joke earlier. And it, sometimes it can definitely feel like it's like, um, okay, great video <laughs> moving on or whatever. But it's like I think what makes this interesting is, you know, a big issue that churches have is the announcements feel like such a – big break in the service that ruins the flow of worship, where as a campus pastor, my job is to actually continue the flow of worship and and actually craft almost like a five-minute message into the announcement. So instead of saying like, hey, we're having baptisms this Sunday, next Sunday, I got to say like, as, you know, as we move our people into our discipleship, one aspect of that is the proclaiming of our faith publicly through baptism. Like I'm I'm kind of teaching and guiding our people through discipleship through our announcements and through the life of our campus. And so that's something that like we are required to spend like 45 minutes crafting and practicing what we're going to say from the stage as our our host moment and our benediction time. And
1: I want to say like you lead pastors, solo pastors of small churches, like we can learn from this specifically because uh, this is something when I was a worship leader and Frank, you took some of the same classes as I did. Again, this kind of some of this actually comes from the more high church liturgical traditions that everything that happens in that service needs to be intentional, and so there is not, there should not be like just a random transition that like, oh yeah, okay, now we're going to do this. No, you have people's attention, which in our day and age is extremely valuable. You have people's attention for maybe seventy five minutes on a Sunday, so don't just throw four or five of them away with announcements like you know. I mean. even down to, to little things like when you, uh, for us, when we do the, you know, the the handshaking thing that everybody hates, you know, I will, and I learned this from Bible college, I will say something like God has welcomed us into his presence. Now let's welcome one another. And I think, you know, what you guys do as a campus pastor, those those transitions that are done after the video sermon is maybe done, and then you're about to go into live worship. Those are not just like throwaway moments. If they were, they wouldn't have a pastor to do it. Yeah, so, like the
0: the whole like um, using prayer as a transition is very cringy. It's very yeah. like sacrilegious, almost, right? Yeah, and so like so like we we have to craft those transitions not simply to be smooth and pro- well produced, but to use that as formative moments for worship. Right, formative is the key, pastors.
1: Yeah. I would encourage you, like, look through the order of service, and there is no moment that can't be formative for your people. So, when I was a worship leader at a church in Orlando, I used to have these things called verbal transitions. And that's where I learned really how to do that. Like, okay, I'm going to transition from this song to this song, but let's do it in a way that's pastoral. Dell, what about you?
2: Yeah. Um, so if I had to boil down kind of my role and to into distill it down, it's three main things. And the first thing is you're a shepherd. Like before anything, like God has still given you this specific flock that has its own culture within it. You want it to match the culture of the church. And in some regards it does, but it's in its own context. You have to dig into those people's life, get to know them, make sure your deacons are doing that. So before anything, like it's got to go through that threshold of shepherd for me. Like I am responsible for these people. Uh, Second thing is I'm a vision replicator. Um, If you are a pastor and you're looking at starting uh, another campus, if you don't have someone out there who understands the why and the how of central campus and can't port that over as closely as possible, that's where a lot of your disconnect can happen. And the, the, the larger those visions start to disconnect, the more your people don't feel like they're a part of the central campus. So we are often replicating the vision not just in like the same songs because sometimes we'll do it in our own way but especially with the language and uh after at the end of each sermon I do get to land the sermon our pastor kind of hangs it up on the last note and then I come up last 5 or 8 minutes and land the sermon and I'm always very intentional to land that sermon using our language reminding us that we're a part of something bigger um as far as the announcements I actually gave that away our worship guy I feel like he, I want him, I want him to be able to carry that vision as well. So he, he's very intentional about leaning in on the front end of that service, which kind of creates some margin for me to pastor and shepherd the people who aren't in there yet or who are in the lobby. So, um, so yeah, shepherd vision replicator. And the last thing I feel like I really am called to do out here, my ministry, I am a ministry multiplier. My job is you, I'm supposed to come into this community with the flock that he's given me and the vision given to us. And we are to set, people free on this side of town to reach as many people as possible for Jesus. And, 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 and that's going to be unique. Um, That's where it, the vision is the same, but how it plays out in its own context is different. So we do look at how can we dig into certain needs in the community? How do we share um, Jesus in certain contexts that maybe they don't even have on the central side of community town? So those are the three ways. If I distilled it all down, everything I'm doing is pretty much orbiting those i didn't get
0: to share my third
2: one but like is
0: it's what delmar says the first one is my job is to pastor everyone in our campus and so i think like one thing we like one aspect of what that looks like is yeah kind of being the main greeter like getting to the lives of people that's mostly seen also in i'm uh what's called a small group coach so i coach all the small group leaders that come from my campus as well as um I, I pastor very specifically and I meet with all the volunteers on our campus. And so one, thing,
1: I, I would love to dive into that on maybe a whole another episode of yeah. small groups.
0: Uh, but, but one thing, I hope you guys notice that one thing Delmar and I didn't say is anything about preaching. Because I think one thing about campus pastors, when it's a true multi-site campus pastor model where there's a, a, a simulcast or whatever, is preaching is not necessarily one of your main responsibilities. And if you feel like you're a gifted preacher and like you want to preach a lot, campus pastors might not be the place for you. It's way more heavy on the relation relationships and discipleship and way lighter on the speaking. You get to speak. I mean, I preach. So, so in our, in our church model, not every campus pastor gets to preach. Um, you preach every campus pastor will probably preach at least for sure. Two to three times a year, Easter, Christmas, and maybe a couple other holiday Sundays or whatever. But I am a part of the preaching rotation team, so I get to bump up probably about six to eight times a year. But that's not a guarantee for, like, at least one of our other campus pastors, for sure.
2: Yeah, to shine some clarity on that, just because it's not in your top ten doesn't mean – or your top responsibilities doesn't mean it's not in your top love. I think having (laughs) a love for preaching – is something that that makes a campus pastor want to do it because we want people to hear the preaching of the word. Right. Like, and, and and to be fair, Frank and I, we do love preaching at our church. I'm i I'm on the preaching team. So I preach once a month and, um, But like that can change. In November, I'm preaching three weeks straight. So it really comes down to the ebb and the flow. Yeah. (laughs) I bet you are. You know. But yeah, we um
3: that's cute because there's five Sundays in November. uh, I know. I know. I know. The other two weeks we're we're just gonna
2: worship Jesus. Well, that's after the rioting calms down and we can go back to church after the election. So but seriously, yeah, I mean we do we do love to preach. And I think one of the things that is so so important. If you're going to be a campus pastor, you cannot have ambition over your senior pastor. I was just going to bring this up. Like, yeah. like, let me just let me say that again. You cannot have ambition because this is what's going to happen. You are going to go preach from your central campus and broadcast back, or you may preach live at your own campus, and there are going to come people who come to you who are like, "Man, it's so good to hear our pastor preach." You have to have a pride check every time you preach. And if you have to preach to have something, some kind of ego scratched in you, like that will destroy your ministry. I mean, youth pastors
1: and associate pastors, you need to hear this It's the same
2: way. So one of the things I say is if somebody says, Hey, that was really good. And this is not a lie because we've talked about our preaching process at church before. Um, I say, well, you know what? I have good mentors at this church. So that way it's a very way it's a very positive way to respect my pastor and say hey listen yeah I hopefully I should be communicating effectively cuz my senior pastor is a good communicator and he's mentoring me. So but that's you have to love it but not you don't own the preaching. You well, you love I, it, I, you don't own it.
1: You guys tell me if this is true but I think like when you're going when you're interviewing for a job if you have this stuff in the back of your mind I'm going to take this campus pastor position and then I'm going to preach and then they're going to like me more. Like you need to mortify that sin right now. At, that is that. a sin. That's a good way. Yeah, and I would say having done this sin and had my wife had to rebuke me, worship pastors, this could be you too. You may have never preached before and you get the opportunity to realize, wow, I really like to preach. And then you start to have these thoughts and like, that's just wickedness and you need to kill that.
2: And a good red flag is this, those, those weeks that you do get to preach. If those weeks are filling your tank more yeah. than the week you're not preaching, you have a problem, you know, be, you know, you ha- that might mean that you need to leave. You might not be the person for the job or it might need to be what you just said, Jeff, there's some sin that needs mortifying. Like the weeks I preach, I'm no more filled you know like emotionally and spiritually in the weeks i don't i'm way more
0: tired on the weeks i preach
2: <laughs> see it's the opposite man we load oh. into church every sunday and you're always skating i am more out, exhausted after i have more respect for the load in and load out team at a campus yeah. shout out to church I, planners too oh yeah. uh, bro honestly i feel you on that
0: i, I think i think um one thing that I think was kind of, it wasn't shocking because I, I was totally prepared for it, but it's something that you don't really realize until you're really into it. If you, because I know, at least in my church, two of the f- campus pastors were senior pastors before they came to our campus, before before they came to our church. And, and, um and obviously I was a youth pastor before I became a campus pastor. And when you have that kind of responsibility and authority, when you go from that to a campus pastor position, a lot of things that, that you like the best way I can describe a campus pastor is you have a lot of uh, responsibility, but no authority. So you have a lot of responsibility in the sense of like people care about how your campus goes and, 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 and how you care for people and all that kind of stuff. But you don't actually necessarily have a lot of authority to change a lot of stuff that's happening at your campus. Does that make sense? So like if someone comes to me and complains that like, Hey, I wish worship was more like this. Well, that's not really my my place. Like in fact, all the people on my in my campus, worship, youth, children, they're all dotted line relationships. So all my responsibility to them is to pour into them as like as a pastor and to help contextualize what they're doing. Their boss is the 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 central children's person, the central worship person, that kind of thing. And then there's a centralized team with the senior pastor and some elders. They're the ones that makes the kind of the big decisions when it comes to our church. Set vision and stuff. Set vision yeah. and stuff. Yeah. I have a piece that I can set kind of like the flavor of that vision for my campus. But kind of like what Delmar said, we are most like vision. Um, the way I worded it for our church is I'm I'm like the biggest marketer for our, our church. Like I'm, I'm marketing my church to this community and that's what this campus is. is like I'm taking this this message, this brand of our of the gospel that we have, and I'm bringing it to this community um in the in the the most authentic way possible for that community. but I don't have actually any authority. The only place that I actually have authority in is only the community outreaches, so where I get to say what we will do, and I have almost free reign is like the food pantry is like When we go to the schools and we care for teachers, that's where I get to say whatever I want. And I get to put my stamp of like, this is the Frank Gill thing from Epicos. When it comes to our Sunday morning experience, that's very much a, a corporate kind of like there's a centralized team kind of figuring that out. And then if there's unique nuances like communion tables need to be put over there as opposed to there or we don't do certain songs here because it doesn't connect with our people. Those are the only differences from campus to campus. But like you, as a campus pastor, you have responsibility but very little authority, and that can be very very difficult for someone who is usually a previous senior pastor who's like, "Hey, next Sunday, we're going to have a full prayer service and we're not going to preach a sermon." Like you you do not have that kind of authority, and that can be that can feel very restrictive if you have that like entrepreneurial drive And like those control things, but I will say being in this position as a campus pastor, you're submitting to the authority of a, of an elder board and a centralized team where you're actually free to just say, Hey, my, I'm here to authentically just pastor you and all those hard budgeting decisions. That's someone else's job, right? Like, that's not that's not me. Someone else is worried about the kind of speakers we have in our auditorium. Someone else is worried about the kind of cameras we're going to buy for live stream. I get to focus on loving my people. And occasionally I get to preach, which I think is really freeing. And that's a big, the, one of the biggest difference between, like, Delmar and I and Jeff and Andrew is, like, you guys not only get to love and care for your people, but you got to think about that stupid camera you got to buy for the live stream.
2: Let's be real, though. It's freeing. But not before it's shackling. Like w- yeah. when you, when you, when you, when you first move into this role, you feel like you can't. Oh man, well, what can I do? Because over here, I used to make the video. Over here, I used to have the creative input. Over here, I used to do this. Um, now, this is where Frank's church and I are maybe a little nuanced and a little different. I have um, my worship and. and Uh, student and children's person are direct lines to me and they're dotted lines to central, but that's only because I have a direct line to central. Um, But the dotted lines, I actually make sure those are very sturdy. So they're having meetings weekly with my direct lines back at the other campus. And just to kind of back up a little earlier to where we were talking about, like the differences with, with needing credit and scratching that itch. One of the things that's going to happen specifically when it comes to our church, every church, your people are going to be asking you for things that you can't provide. This is what Frank was saying. There's some things that are just above your pay grade, right? Um, One of the ones at my church is they have this, they are always asking for live preaching, right? Always, every week. Um, And we do have a model where about 30% of our preaching is live because that is contextually, helpful for where we're at. But there's they're always asking for more. And what I've had to learn is um, you when it comes to running and, and serving in a multi-campus, there, you have to learn what's a tension to manage and what's a problem to solve. You're not going to solve that like a problem because there's always going to be people. And if you think you can just have one cute little saying, like, Oh, well, our, our sermon is like a wedding band. It reminds us that we're part of something bigger, which is true. It's a really good illustration. But guess what? That's just managing the tension because the problem's still going to be there. And one of the things you have to be okay with as a campus pastor is just managing and sitting in that tension, which requires a lot more conversations and a lot more empathy than just handling a problem.
1: But Dell, isn't it where you pull that person aside, put your arm around him and say,
0: listen, if I was in charge
2: i would preach yeah. every week but it's yeah. not my call i'm sorry we're gonna have a vote at the next meeting
0: <laughs> and and, and, Je- and well i was i was gonna say which really cool what jeff said i think i don't I and maybe this is for another show but like that that tension that you just kind of joked about i feel it all the time it's like like people like just being nice to me and saying frank i i you're my favorite preacher and it's like I know you're just trying to be nice. And my Enneagram 3 loves every second of this. I'm a
2: 3 as well. But,
0: but like this is not – it's not healthy. We, it, so, so we as campus pastors have to fight that we're not creating within our own churches like teams because that is – we are one church in multiple locations, not multiple churches that have the same brand. Like we have Again, to – this, sure we...
1: this happens with associates and youth pastors too. And and in, I think, and, oh,
0: I mean, even as a youth pastor, yeah I think I had to keep fighting like, hey, I know that, you know, when I preach, it's fun because I'm the youth pastor, but like, you only like it because you're not hearing me every day. And, but like, but even as a campus pastor where I'm in their lives even more, we have to make sure we are constantly pointing back to saying we're one big team. And yeah, you might like my preaching because I'm, I'm a little different style, but like, don't discredit what everyone else is doing. It's a fight you have to battle if you're if you're cocky and arrogant and you kind of like love the attention. being a campus pastor is very dangerous because you can just cocky cause the if
1: you're cocky and you love the attention I'm gonna let you do the church discipline with that person the first time
3: <laughs> so yeah you know, we we were talking about you know the what we say a of a, a micro site um earlier, and I know I was reading something that uh Levi Lusco was talking- and I, I think it was the online church summit thing that he did with, um, Carrie new And he was saying that, you know, for years they had people that were, they would like email them like, Hey, there's a group of us that are watching from, you know, somebody's backyard on a projector in Philadelphia. And he was always like, well, they're not really part of our church because you know, they're, you know, so far away, they can't be a part. And now in this, you know, new COVID reality, he's like, yeah, I guess they are a part of our church. So I would like to say that during the quarantine, we had like 55, 60, Um, micro campuses of Safety Harbor Community Church while uh, we were only doing stuff online. I thought that was that you guys are not laughing or smiling at that, but whatever. It's cool. But uh, but, But in this new era, if we can say, hey, this is a micro site, this is two families watching on a couch together, why are you spending the money to have a second campus? And I'm asking these questions just because these are the questions that people think about multi-campus and campus pastors not because i'm trying to ruffle feathers but so that's question one is if you say you know there's these people that they're hosting this at their house well then why are we spending all this money and infrastructure on a new campus if you can just do that 20 times and you mean instead of a physical location yeah exactly and then if you're going to do the physical location and you're called to ministry you're called to do all this stuff and yes it's expensive to have a new campus and all this stuff why why aren't churches planting new churches, and I know that lots of churches are planting new churches as well, but to say, you know, we're going to move into this neighborhood, and instead of giving this neighborhood this new church that we're going to, you know, we're going to pay for the first two years of this church being here, we're going to pay the pastor's salary until things are established. What's the point of doing a campus of an existing church, as opposed to a very well-funded church plant that might answer back to the mothership?
0: I think for your for your first question, I know like Elevation Church has these things called like house parties where they were like um, like literally all across, huh? They would call it that. (laughs) I mean, basically, it's I think it's like another name for a microsite. I think um, the the I asked that question too about microsites and like what is a microsite versus like what Elevation's doing, and then even like Justin Knowles' church, they have like this kind of like microsite model where literally they send you a TV and you host a service in your home or whatever and i think the biggest difference is what we want to be very intentional with when it comes to microsites is the planned future of either a multi-site campus or a church plant and so there so it's a lot more work than just saying like oh you and your friends are just because we want to make sure people are getting pastored and discipled not just watching a service from a distance and i think ultimately like You know, I'm not like I know I know me and Delmar probably think very differently about MacArthur. I think my I think the one thing I can align with MacArthur in saying is that there is a need for a governing body in the church to be able to care for their people. And so being able to like just zoom a church from home and like like or not not zooming from church from home, but like just watching a service on YouTube and calling that church is kind of like the wrong view of church or is like um People play, God placed people in authority, and there's 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 accountability and mentorship and discipleship, and, and then not to mention communion and baptism and ordinances that only can be found within the context of church. And so, so a microsite, I would say, is the preliminary steps to a church plant or a or a, or a multi-site campus. The other question you said is the difference between church planting and multi-site. I, I think that's a great question, only because. Um, I think when I was in Tampa, I would ask the question, why are these churches planning churches in a city that has hundreds of churches and like, and like there's a lot of good churches too. And I remember a guy who kind of fell out of ministry, but he, he, he challenged me on this and he said, um, sometimes God uses church plants to, to kind of, um, kind of change the soil of a community to be able to push churches to do more, to actually be the church, or to kind of push out the churches that are the whack churches. Does that make sense? Like church planning is God uses church plans to kind of shake up the community for the church. I think it has 100% to do with context. Like I think um, what's beautiful about multi-site church is that now you have governing resources from a mother campus or a central campus that you won't be able to find in a... um in a, uh, church plant. And I mean, the greatest example of this is this, is when we launched my campus, we're launching with 150 people yeah, that have amazing. left our church to go to another church where with a church plant, it's, I feel like it takes way more resources and a lot of like, not saying that that's bad, but it's a, it's, a, it's a lot more difficult to plant a brand new church than it is to plant another campus, which eventually all these multi-site churches can do like the way of Matt Chandler and roll off to be their own independent churches one day. But I think, um, I think, I think it has a lot to do with the context and your culture. Like in Milwaukee, multi-site is very, very new and not many of us are here. And so when we do it, there's a lot more success with that church being ingrained in the community and growing than the previous church plans. I mean, I can't tell you the number of church plants that have failed in our in our, in our city. I don't know why. I, I don't have the science behind that or, the, or whatever. But I can tell you that when new campuses are launched, those tend to stay more stable quicker than a lot of the church plants in our community. That might not be true in other places. Um, but I think that's the reason why we would say, Delmar, do you have any answers to those questions?
2: Yeah. I'll speak to the second one a little bit in the sense of. Why the multi-site? I think there's a couple reasons. The first one is the obvious, what Frank said, resources. By having another campus sending you out, it gives you this massive boost in your immunity system. For example, there's been quite a few churches here who were startup churches. COVID just killed them because they weren't able to meet. They can't make their tithe and they're dead now. Whereas we, we do have another campus that we're connected to. So to be able to have... Um, these resources coming in, it does, it 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 helps you stay healthy. Also, not just in a fiscal place, but also in the relational place. My pastor can um, say, hey, listen, I'm going to get you sit down with the mayor of Sumter and I'm going to put you in front of him because he's got years of experience here. Plus, um, if your church has done a lot of work to be uh, a beacon in the community. Having that same name attached to yours is going to help you, not hurt you. Now, I, and, that- and
0: what you just said is huge. I think when you have, like, dude, it's going to schools has been so true about this. If you have a good reputation as a church, planting another campus, even though non Christians or people from the community might not know what multi site is, has been the biggest kind of like clout carrier into the community because they're like, oh. I know what this church has done in that community. We would love that church to be in our community. But if you're like a if you're like a nobody from an out of town coming into a community, and you're like, "Hey, I'm I'm Frank from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I'm going to go to Tarpon Springs and try to plant a church." People from Tarpon Springs are like, "Who are you? Why are you they're gonna, here?" They're going to you I, with
1: sponges, man.
0: But <laughs> but if Andrew, who already has a relationship in the community, decides to plant a campus in Tarpon Springs. There's probably enough connections to Tarpon Springs where they'll be like, "Well, I, I, I've heard of Andrew's Church. Yeah, we'll we'll be able to have those conversations." That's not true for everybody. There's obviously church planners have killed it. But I'm saying that's been true for our context.
2: Yeah, and just in general, a lot of communities, depending on how your community is, has its own culture that's quite impenetrable. Like Sumter has a Sumter culture because we have a military culture, and then we have the people who are born here culture, and sometimes they don't talk. But our church is known as the church where these groups come together. That's kind of the reputation that we have. So by us, our our church is being built in a property in front of a brand new residential area, that is probably at least one third military. So they know if they come to this campus there, one of the things they do is they connect the the city and the county with the people. So have it it, by having that name that predates us in there, it actually helps us permeate the culture a little quicker. All right, rapid fire.
1: I'm going to hit you with two or three questions. Just give the real simple practical answer. And then, uh, Andrew, if you want to hop in on a couple of these, too, I'm looking at the list that we made. Uh, okay, so how often are you preaching, typically?
0: Six to eight times a year, about three times live at my campus.
2: Okay. Once a month at Central Campus, li- um, live, once a month at our campus, live. Cool. Uh, Other than a Sunday morning, what other kinds of
1: teaching are you involved in? Sunday school classes, small groups? Like, are you teaching any other
0: areas frank um i get to um i am trying to plan this now i'm trying to build a team of people i want to have like um almost like a small group to do do like a theology 101 doctrine 101 thing that's something i've been given permission to do to kind of help do extra discipleship to raise up new leaders beyond that crew navigators or whatever those campus ministries are i get invited to speak at colleges to um
2: locally to kind of
1: church gives you space to do that
2: they encourage it um I have a life group that I started on a Tuesday night where a lot of my core members come to. I speak at the local schools and every time my deacons get together, I consider that a teaching opportunity as well.
3: Um what do you do that your lead pastor does not do? I think I think for me um uh
0: there's I there's more direct coaching to our like staff leads on our campus that he doesn't, right? So like there's probably three layers between my senior pastor and my campus worship pastor where I'm his direct uh, coach over him, not telling him what he needs to do as a job, but just kind of pa- like like contextualizing our campus together and stuff like that. So there's basically there's a lot of like um, direct pastoral moments that I get to have in my campus that my senior pastor doesn't.
2: Yep, I do more direct pastoral care than him and I lead our teaching team.
1: Other than, uh like, um, what you're doing when you're preaching on a Sunday morning? What do you do on a typical Sunday morning when you're not preaching?
0: It's it's a, it's just literally, um, shaking hands, kissing babies. I'm just kidding. No, it's literally <laughs> like it's literally like relational. It's like, but I, not, if, right now, everyone, not right now, everyone. Covid nineteen. Not right now. But it's literally like <laughs> I. I like my job is to talk to as many people, um, check in with all my volunteers and then do the, then do the, uh, the hosting and benediction part of the service. But so like, the lobby might be more as
1: important as the sanctuary for you on a Sunday,
0: if not more important. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, for sure.
2: Um, I show up early because we do load in every single week. So serving alongside of those, um, participate in the service, help lay, I land the sermon. I also am watching, um, how the service is going so we can critique it. And I'm doing general pastoral conversations. We call those next step conversations at our church. And then I load out. It's awesome. Hey,
0: let's, 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 Um, I, I mean, I've, I'm glad we got to share this. Hopefully this has been beneficial. If you have more questions about what it means to be a campus pastor, reach out to DumbRI in the Facebook group or something. We'd love to talk to you more about that. I do think there's a lot of like, if there's a Venn diagram of a campus pastor and a lead pastor, It's it's almost a circle. There's just a couple things that like are are on the perimeter there, specifically when it comes to more of the administration stuff, where this leads. Well, I think something you
1: guys we could do a whole episode on that you guys could probably talk about is just systems because that's something bigger churches do really well. Uh, That smaller churches, I think sometimes sometimes small church circles pastors poo poo the systems like, oh wow, that doesn't work here. But those systems are really good and they can really be helpful.
3: My friend Andy Stanley famously says sermons don't grow churches systems grow churches and uh some truth in that man i would say i i worked at one of the biggest churches in the country and would leave regularly on a sunday morning being like really that is what all these people are coming for and my wife would be would say no these people are coming for that for that for that for that and for that and yeah that's the sermon but sermons aren't the thing that and Dell is pooping in his pants listening to me say that but the systems the systems are important
2: i think the systems will grow the people but if the lord doesn't build the house the labor's labor
3: in vain i would agree a <laughs> percent you know i gotta go there man no but no like i but I you, we've, you. All, we've all been at churches where we've been like the oh, holy yeah. spirit the holy spirit must be doing something because that guy's think- not that good <laughs> <laughs> can I provide a can
2: I provide a little a layer of co- of cushion on that sentiment quickly? Your sis your sis yes your systems help your people know that they are loved. That's really what it is. It, it, it's a way of showing them that you respect and appreciate the fact they're created in God's image, and you've put in thought into that. That's that's why they come back. That's good.
0: Um, real quick uh, for our question of the day, I, I was going to do top three. I just want the number one thing. You I, maybe I've asked this question before. I don't know. Church is over. You're on your way home. You get to have one meal to just re- to reflect on the day. What's the meal you're going to get?
3: Pot roast mashed potatoes, Cody's Roadhouse.
0: Nice. Nice.
3: Bojangles
2: no. Cajun Filet Biscuit combo with fast a sweet food tea. You're church? Bro, I, yes. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to sit there. You I have haven't had it? fast food in two months.
1: Uh, doing I'm doing? not going to lie to you, man. Right now, it's a church potluck. This church knows how to make some food, man. We have Filipinos who make adobo chicken. We have a Greek lady who makes baklava. We have a lady from Africa who makes jollof rice. I, of course, make Peruvian. It's banging. Church potlucks is where it's at at this church. So
0: maybe dumb on our trash,
1: but I would do Popeyes after church. Oh, <laughs> it's the, it's oh. the
2: multi-campus thing, man.
1: Also, but the if, best potato salad I've ever eaten in my life happens at this church potlucks. Like. Incredible. Right. If
3: you're doing Popeyes after church, you at least have to get mashed potatoes instead of French fries to class it up a little bit i agree because with the it. pop and honey the popeye's for the mashed bota- oh but popeye's mashed potatoes are so good <laughs>
0: i love this hey guys um if you have enjoyed the show please rate and review the show give us five star rating check us out on youtube and facebook um, we're almost at 500 we're about maybe 50 people away from from the 500 on instagram we want to get rid of these shirts by christmas so help us out if you're listening and you haven't liked us on instagram Please do so. If not, uh, let other people know about it, too. All right.
3: Uh, with that being said, I'm Frank Gill. I'm Jeff Simpson. I'm Delmar Pete. And I am Andrew James Larson. And my birthday is tomorrow. Happy hey, birthday, and we are practically pastoring. See you next time.